My name is Bruce, for those of you who have not met me before, and I re- look out and realize that's probably quite a few of you. My name is Bruce. I was a pastor on staff here for a little while. My wife and I and our son have been attending here the last few months after our sojourn looking for the perfect church. <laughs> we found the perfect church, and then we showed up, and it no longer was perfect. <laughs> I'm a professor at SUM Bible College and Theological Seminary. Um, how many of you so far have said, you know, he's used three words that I did not understand? <laughs> good, 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 good. That means that everything you think you know about PhDs may not hold true for me, and that's fine with me. I'm a professor there. I teach, I teach theology, leadership, and communication. I'm also the faculty chair of the graduate school. Uh, for those of you who know anything about academics, that means that I'm kind of the dean of the graduate school. I've been in that position now for about five or six weeks. In that time, I've hired four faculty members. I'm set out to radically change the curriculum, traveled twice for the school. It's been a rough six weeks. (laughs) It's been a wonderful ride, and I've enjoyed it greatly, and I'm enjoying what I'm doing. I really, really enjoy what I'm doing. It's fantastic. My school starts in just a week. Anybody else start back to school very soon? Yeah, same. I start in in just a week. 7.30, 7.30, bright and early, next Monday morning, from a week from tomorrow, I start. That's not so bad. Um, I'll have students in California, and it'll be 5.30 in the morning there, and so I rejoice in the Lord greatly. <laughs> he did not call me to start at 5.30 in the morning. I'll also have students in that class from the Philippines, and it'll be 7.30 at night there. That's going to be really exciting. I had students last, last spring from Pakistan. That was really exciting. We have students from all over the world because we do what we do online. My commute is really rough. I get up in the morning, I walk down the hall to the bathroom, then I walk to the kitchen and I make tea and I walk back down the hall, across the hall from my bedroom, sit down at the computer, and I'm there. <laughs> Take your Bibles, please, and turn me to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, please. We're going to start reading in verse number 16 and we'll work our way down to verse number 25. Verse number 26 kind of acts as a transition between what's taking place in this section and the section after that. And that's pretty clear from the language, and, and that's kind of the way the structure of the whole thing works. That's as technical as I will get. How many of you have had those professors where in the first five minutes of class that you were in class with them, you heard three terms you didn't understand, and you thought, sweet Jesus, come back now, because I'm, I'm dead. <laughs> that would not usually be me. I'm not a terminology guy, so you probably won't hear a lot of terms. That you, but every now and then I catch myself thinking about this sermon and going in directions that are way too academic, so I'll try to adjust, and I'll try, I think we're going to be okay. I got here this morning with this wonderful Bible right here, and I looked down at it, and I realized that since I last used this Bible, I usually use either a digital Bible or a hardcover Bible, my eyes have deteriorated. It's for show. I can't read a thing in here. <laughs> uh, I probably, uh, your phone, oh sweet Jesus, have mercy. If it's not read it out loud, I'd probably not could be able to see it. Pastor Pete would have to hold it, and then I'd have a chance at it. Galatians chapter 5, verse number 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Um, this kind of an aside, verse number 18 is there to tie together what has been taking place through all of Galatians. And it doesn't have a whole lot of bearing on this passage really at all. If you try to make it, you end up scratching your head for a long time trying to figure out what it's doing there. 
Um, so we're just going to move on and go to verse number 19. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. They are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Not all of those are created equal, by the way. You know, most societies would kind of look at a rivalry and an orgy on different levels. I get that. I think Paul got that, too. The point of the list is that all of these things become works of the flesh. It is not a comprehensive list. There are other things you could add to this list and other things he adds in other places to this list. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Again, not a comprehensive list. There are other places where he adds things to the list of the fruit of the Spirit. It's not intended to be these nine and no more. But these nine are there for certain. Verse number 25. And you who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now, the main issue of this passage is not really the fruit, though it's the thing that sticks out the most to us because we are most familiar with it. The main idea here is the desire. And that's pretty clear because of how many times that word is referred to. And the structure really makes that clear. That the whole point here is that the desires which sometimes put demands on us. Those inner desires which just kind of call out to us like an Oreo that's on the table that calls your name every time you walk by it. You know, the, the good thing about the commute is it's really short. The bad thing about the commute is it's also just the same distance from, uh, from where I am down the hall to get a cookie during a break in class. Oh, it's rough. It's nice to fit into clothes I didn't fit into anymore, John Love. Isn't that a good feeling? The main issue in this passage then is the contrast between walking in the Spirit and what takes place when you don't walk in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit and the desires which sometimes rule us like a difficult taskmaster. Before we dive into the passage, and we will do that this morning, we need to look for, get a greater sense of some things here, and we will dive into the passage more than some of you may remember me doing in the past. Let's discover why this is by popular demand. It's because desires are a permanent challenge. They are always there. You never outgrow the moment in which you have desires to do things you know you shouldn't do. There is never a moment in which you arrive in life and say, okay, I've so crucified the flesh that I don't desire anything that I don't want to desire. For a, a number of years, I was fortunate enough to be a pastor in Milwaukee and we had in that church a retired pastor, Ralph Skinner, and I would ask him from time to time about it and he would just laugh. He said, what a foolish little 25-year-old. What does he know about life? Asking me if desires ever die down. They don't. They just change. Those desires have been with us through every generation. I could walk you through the history of it. It's not really that, it's not that exciting, trust me. Because it all sounds the same generation after generation of people who have these desires that control them, that demand that they do things that they really don't want to do. Now, that demand is not a demand that you have to follow, but it is a demand nonetheless. Desires which creep into you and just kind of pull and tug at you. That 
It is all it is by popular demand because, well, there's not a specific desire here. Just the whole idea of desires in general is so common in every person, in every generation, in every culture that we battle those desires. There is no culture that you can look to and say they've got it figured out. You ever hear those missionaries where they come and tell their stories and it sounds like they're ministering in the perfect culture? You know the, you know the type I'm talking? They have the perfect Christian church. Nothing... When, when we get them alone, we pastors, we hear stories of dissensions and rivalries and fights and envy and jealousy, all things that are on this list. And we even hear stories of pastors who they had to deal with and discipline because there was immorality. Everything that's on this list, bits of rage and anger. And there is no perfect culture, perfect generation, perfect church. Because as soon as someone like me shows up and has desires of the flesh, that perfect church, is no longer quite so perfect. And we must decide whether or not we will give in to the challenge of those desires. We have to figure out how to deal with that challenge and whether or not there is a way to reconfigure those desires. One of the things that I enjoyed so much about being on staff here was working for Pastor Mark. I am not one who, having been a senior pastor for a while, I was a little bit concerned about being a staff pastor it's really not as much in my DNA as what some might think. It's not really in my makeup. And I enjoyed working here because I was working for a guy who was really, was really a man's man. Some of you think that means that he hunts and fishes. Frankly, Elmer Fudd was a, fish, was a hunter and that didn't mean a whole lot, did it? Orca whales like the fish. But Pastor Mark's a man's man because when things were really tough, he was a man of character and integrity. He was a man of self-control and he didn't say the things he thought. I know because he'd close my office door and then say the things he thought. And I knew there were only two or three of us in the world who were hearing those things. It's a person, person who does not give in to their own desires, anger, the tongue, greed, idolatry. Those, that is true character. It's the true strength of what it means to be a man of God. It's the true strength of what it means to be a woman of God. You know, the feminine woman... It's one who can control her own desires, her tongue, envy, impurity, dissensions, divisions, strife, jealousy, those kinds of things. All things that show up in the list here in verse number 19. Because that's what it means to be a person of God. Someone who can control those own desires because those desires are demanding. And they are diverse. Sexuality, greed, power, beauty, food, more technology. I couldn't even, wouldn't even want to begin to list every desire that you may have that is impure because I probably would miss one. And you know what would happen then? I would miss one and Suzanne would say, oh good, he didn't mention mine. I'm okay. <laughs> I don't know if she would do that, but I know that I've been there and pastors are a little bit like people. So I think maybe it's possible that you would do that. So I'm just telling you, there are a host of things that you could desire that when you do desire them, they begin to take the place of what God has for you. And they become the opposite of walking in the Spirit. They become the things which begin to rule you. And it has been true in every generation because Paul addressed it. Trying to give us the contrast here of walking so that we do not fulfill those desires. Verse number 16. Verse number 17. They are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing everything that you really want to do. Verse number 19. The two cannot prevalently exist together. 
That means that they are in constant clash with each other. And you will have to decide what you are going to do with that challenge. One way to handle the challenge of those desires is for you to challenge those desires back. For you to say, I don't think I have to give in to all of these desires. I'm going to challenge those desires which seem so permanently to be a part of me. And the way that you deal with the challenge of those desires is to challenge them back by saying, perhaps, it is, perhaps I don't have to give in to anger. When I was in college, I used to play cards with my, my wife was my partner, and then we had two other gentlemen, one who's a pastor in Kansas, another who's in ministry in Tennessee now. We used to play cards together in the student union at the college where we attended. I got really mad one night something had happened in the card game. I tried to just throw my cards down on the table, but in doing so, the table accidentally <laughs> kind of came off the ground and tipped in the direction of someone else. I had a wee bit of a temper. You just fast forward that. My poor Wednesday night people from years back, they've heard this story. You just fast forward that. I was substitute teaching about 15, 20 years after that in the middle school. And there was a group there now. How old are you, Alexis? It was her class. They were, um, they were being particularly challenging. She wasn't in the class, but they were being particularly challenging as sixth graders can do, especially a sixth grade class where everybody was a low-performing student and they were being really challenging, and toward the end of that class period, which was long, one of them came up to me and said, Mr. Coates, I like how you're so patient. <laughs> well, my wife thought that she was just trying to make sure she didn't get sent to the office when I told the story later. I tell myself that I really had grown in my patience, and I wasn't. I was no longer the table-tipping-over-card-playing fool from college. Now I was the patient, grit-your-teeth-wants-to-kill-you fool who was a little older. <laughs> You can challenge these things in life. I think that's part of the message from Pastor Pete's testimony. You don't have, you, you can grow. You can look at where you are and say, I'm not where I ought to be. I can grow beyond where I am. These things don't have to become a permanent part of me. The desires may be there, but you do not have to give in to those desires. You can challenge those things. Thus, the long list of the works of the flesh and the list that produces, the, that is the produce of the Spirit. These are things that come because of the direction that we choose to go. And a contemporary temptation, which is not really new, is for us to look only at the solution and to just worry about walking in the Spirit, which is a good thing, I suppose, but has a downside. It's currently what happens so often in the church. Be the best you that you can be. And all those other such books, they tend to come out of places like Lakeland Church and in Texas and some of those kinds of places. They've, they've always kind of been around. Without mentioning names, I'm trying to mention names. It's a pendulum swing. It says we're just going to worry about things that are positive and things that are happy, and I understand that. You don't want to dwell too much on the works of the flesh, but if you don't ever look at those desires, if you don't ever name them, if you don't ever examine them, how do you know what you're really giving up? And when you don't do that, then walking in the Spirit becomes a desire in and of itself which begins to rule you in an ungodly way where you attempt to achieve something that comes when we walk in the Spirit that otherwise we wouldn't attempt to achieve that a special feeling when the Spirit touches us. If that's the only goal that you have rather than turning from other desires, your only goal is to turn toward that experience. Those desires begin to control you in a way that was never intended to be. And walking in the Spirit loses the meaning that Paul has here. 
The meaning is for us to both walk in the Spirit and at the same time not walk in desires which might rule us. And that comes because we challenge our desires. And we begin to consider that the solution is to desire the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit is the solution here. It's the solution to your desires. For if you do not consider that walking in the Spirit helps you to not fulfill the desires of the flesh, then walking in the Spirit itself fulfills those human desires. Yet we are told to walk in the Spirit. Now that's an interesting phrase. I admit I've preached on that phrase several times in my lifetime. Every time I have, I've defined it differently. I have come to conclude that it could mean lots of things. So I want to illustrate a few of those things. You knew we weren't going to go the entire sermon without doing something like this, right? So I wanted to illustrate this this morning. And I had a number of things that I thought maybe could help us a little bit. So I'm just going to ask Mark and Liz Fisher to stand where they are. They're going to walk arm in arm, however they do that. Would you just walk down this aisle, then around there and come down the front? I need a few. Fred, could you come up and help me, please? That's great. And Josh, could you come up and help me, please? That's wonderful. And I need one more who's... uh, You you guys can keep going. This is one possibility for walking in the Spirit. It is to walk arm in arm with each other. All right, I need one more person who's a military type. You got a uniform on. That must mean you. (laughs) Don't get any ideas that because you have the uniform that that means that you're the one in charge here. Fred... Fred was in longer and was in before you. Fred, you're in charge. That's a dangerous statement in life anyway, isn't it? All right, you guys are going to walk in step. Fred, can you figure out how to do this? A bit of a parade. Can you do that? Yeah, can you do that? It's a lot to ask for a guy who paves roads as an engineer, I know. If you drive down a road and you think there's something wrong with it, just blame Fred because that's... Life is easier. All right, so you ready? Here we go. This could mean the three of you. Yeah, the three. So can you guys organize yourselves to do this? Some, some, some might think that organizing a three-card parade would be tough here. All right, good. Now we got it. We're set. Okay, you could walk in the spirit like that back there. You could walk in the spirit. It didn't take very long. Josh is a little out of... Okay, I think we're good. Josh says, can't I just blow something up? Do I really have to walk in step? Is that what it really means? Are you sure about this? Great, great. Oh, look, Fred, he's even kind of has the marching thing going. We should be playing some sort of music here. Good, good, good. Thank you. Okay, you, two of you can go. Josh, just kind of stay right there. Liz likes this so much, she's just decided they're going to take laps for the rest of the sermon. <laughs> now, I've, I pre-planned this one. Um, Josh, do you think you could pick your girlfriend up and carry her kind of right along here? <laughs> Uh, Keenan, could you come up here, please? Richie, you like Keenan, right? <laughs> uh, come on up here. Come on up here. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> Am I carrying him? <laughs> All right, here we go. You're younger, right? So you're going to follow him. Everything he does, you do. However he walks, you're going to walk. If he stops to do push-ups... He won't stop to do push-ups. He doesn't want to go to work tomorrow at Harley-Davidson and tell how a 20-year-old showed him up. So, <laughs> although he... All right, so just walk, do whatever you want. Be a little goofy. Can you handle that? No, I can't. Okay. Whatever he does, you do. Okay? Here we go. 
Uh-oh, a phone dropped. He's, he missed the skip because he dropped his phone. <laughs> Must be a sign of the times. All right, thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, we do have to go on here. Time is ticking and I'm under the clock. Now, walking in the Spirit could mean any of this. The honest truth is that the language does not help us a lot. It appears to have been technical for just a moment. Those of you who really get into this stuff, this is the portion for you. The language seems to be a phrase that was used in the ancient world, which we have no idea what the phrase actually meant. It's one of those, like, um, it costs you an arm and a leg, and people may not understand that 2,000 years from now. Walking in the Spirit seems to be one of those phrases. It is repeated both in verse 16 and verse number 25. The Greek words are different, but it seems to, have, seems to be more a function of where it falls than anything else. So what could walking in the Spirit mean? It could mean walk arm in arm with the Spirit. Wherever the Spirit goes, you go. It could mean keep in step with the Spirit, which is how the New Living Translation translates verse number 25. So that you are always in step with whoever else is there, kind of the opposite of the squad I was in in marching band in high school. They were never in step with everybody else. It could mean that wherever the Spirit goes, He picks you up and takes you, and so you are there with the Spirit. It could mean, it could mean any number of things. It could mean that you follow identically with whatever the Spirit says to do. All of those, it could also mean that because the Spirit is inside of you, you automatically, everywhere you go, and I couldn't figure out how to illustrate this one. What is it going to have you eat something? And then, see, we couldn't, it just would fall apart. Um, you, can, you can get the mental image, though. Walk in the Spirit could mean that everywhere you go, the Spirit is automatically there. I kind of like that idea, but it also has to mean something more like wherever you go in life. The Spirit is going to be there, and you have to make the choice to walk in the Spirit. It is not an automatic thing that happens just because you are a Christian, because the verb walk is clearly something that is active that you initiate and you do. If someone tells you, would you please walk to the kitchen, you can't just sit there and say, yeah, I'm, I'm doing it. Can't you tell? It's just an automatic thing by virtue of being here. By virtue of being your child, I am cleaning my room. That's an active, that's an active request and command, is it not? Parents, if you say clean your room, didn't you expect that they were actually going to stand up, walk in, and clean the room? I expected that, yeah. This kind of just goes with the parents are loudly chiming in here. Kids are looking down the road saying, would you be quiet, please? <laughs> what, what kind of amazes me about this passage is that almost every verb is an active verb both in the English and in the Greek, yet people somehow think that what takes place in this passage, you don't ever have to do anything, that it just kind of happens to a Christian. That's not actually the case. You have to do a lot of things. Otherwise, if you don't, the desires of the flesh will creep in and you will do those things. It is an active thing that you must do to desire the Spirit, learning to walk in the Spirit. And it requires that you do some things. If you look at everything that is in this passage, it becomes pretty clear that the growing of the fruit may seem like it just is an outgrowth. Maybe you've heard this before. I may have even preached this once or twice in my life. I have since repented. That fruit trees just grow fruit. You don't have to do anything to them and they just will grow fruit. Well, that's, that's true after a fashion, but if you look at the fruit here as produce, which is the way the word is usually used, you see it in a totally different light. The produce of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. What does that mean? Well, that means that you have to actually do something to get the produce. It becomes the product of work that's done. How many of you, having planted a garden, can leave that garden from April until whenever, go out and expect that you have pumpkins? The weeds will have overtaken and choked out the, pu the pumpkins. The watermelon will be there no more. There's an active, thing, an active process you have to engage in for that to take place. 
So for you to walk in the Spirit is an active process, something that you must do because the desires are a permanent challenge. And you have to challenge those desires by desiring the Spirit. And as you do that, the way of the Spirit then will flow from the cross of Jesus Christ, the cross and the resurrection. Look back down at verse number 24. It's kind of the pinnacle of what's taking place here because as it works through verse 16 to walk in the Spirit so that you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh, then verse number 17 brings this up that these two things war against each other. Verse number 19 lists the desires of the flesh, some things that happen. Then verse number 22 comes back and lists some of the desires that come from walking in the Spirit. Then verse number 24 is the key to it all, where it says that those of us who are walking in the Spirit and have fulfilled and have the fruit of the Spirit that are going inside of us have put to death the desires of the flesh. So in this passage, it is abundantly clear that those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires, and that the act of doing that is a tough message. It's an act of saying no to some things in your life so that you can say yes to walking in the Spirit. And it is by popular demand because it is always important, though sometimes it's not always talked about very much. Yet from the cross of Jesus Christ and the resurrection, two things which go very much together everywhere in the New Testament, emerges new desires. For if we live by the way of the cross, new desires will emerge. Love and joy and peace. Those things all start to spring up as you live by way of the cross. Uh, We can illustrate this one more way. Uh, Has football practice started yet? Yeah. <laughs> Two days? You've already played a scrimmage. Are muscles the fruit of football? Well, sort of, kind of, but not really, sort of, yeah. But they're not, you don't sit out to say I'm doing football because I want to have muscles. You sit out to play football because you like contact in the game and all, that, all the bruises and limping and the injuries and all that stuff. It's all kind of cool. And, you know, you walk around school on Monday after a hard game and you're limping and everybody, and when you walk by the girls' lockers, you limp a little bit more to get the sympathy (laughs) points. See, you get what I'm talking about, right? Yet muscles are kind of the fruit of what takes place there. That's very much the way this fruit is. That you actually do some things. The fruit then becomes an outgrowth of what you are doing. But you have to choose the path that gets you there. The path, you don't get to that kind of a football team I know, I live in the Nicolay district. We have the, we have the like, 1 in 85 record over the past seven years. You don't, you don't get to that kind of football team by saying, by saying well, we're, just, you know, we're not going to worry about the muscles. They're just going to kind of happen. You actually have to go out and develop that. You, know? you have to get in the weight room a little bit. You have to develop that so that you can participate in football and do that at a very high level. That is the same way that the fruit of the Spirit operates. You have to participate in the agenda of dying to the flesh by way of the cross so that new things can emerge as that resurrection life springs up inside of you. The love, the joy, the peace, all of those things can emerge when we have made the choice to walk the pathway of the Spirit. Then when you get into a situation where you do not feel like loving someone, you can still choose the pathway of walking in the Spirit by choosing to do the loving thing. You can choose to live a joyful life. 
You can choose the pathway of joy, even if you, you know, some people are so glass half empty that you wonder how they got to get out of bed in the morning without fear that lightning will strike them. You can choose the life of joy by saying, I choose to walk in the spirit in such a way that joy will be in my life. You can choose the pathway of self-control. You can choose all of those things when you get in difficult situations. Sometimes, though, we hear that this is just an inward thing that God does and you don't have anything to do with it. I'm telling you, folks, that just doesn't cut it. And it really misses the point of this passage. The point which is that there are active things that we do because if we don't, the desires will take over. So what are some things that we do to walk in the Spirit? Every time that you pray, you you can surrender your desires to God. Every time that you come into worship, our desires are supposed to be aligned with the desires in the heart of God. That's what worship is all about. It's about me aligning my heart with God's heart. Every time that you pick up the Word of God, your desires become informed. And you learn what it means to have desires that are stayed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Every time that you fellowship with one another, your desires become challenged. Sometimes because you really are challenged not to love and sometimes because you are challenged to love. But those desires become challenged. And as we follow the Spirit, we then walk in the fruit of the Spirit. And when you do that, you will have no space left for the desires of the flesh. Now, as I wrestled with how I would proceed this morning, I thought about a lot of specific desires that maybe I would address this morning, and I have decided against each of those. And chose rather to follow what I believe was the heart of the Spirit to just talk in general about desires which sometimes are demanding in our lives. Desires where if we follow them, we will end up in a life that is addicted to something, some sort of a chemical because we will have self-medicated. A desire that may lead us to envy other people A desire that may lead us to all sorts of dissension and strife. Desires that may lead us to impurity. Uh, Those of you who are like under, younger than me, I'm 44. But younger than me, and a generation that's younger than me, your generation has to get that one right. Throughout church history, every generation has been challenged with a particular issue. Your issue is the homosexual agenda. You have to get it right. Because if you don't get it right, the, the, the church will pay for several generations after that. That's the pattern of history. And it will take us a while to recorrect it. Your grandchildren will still be trying to correct it. You have to get it right. The sexuality is between a man and a woman who are married to each other. That's the definition in the Bible. You can make the Bible say something else. I suppose if you... I've talked to people who make the Bible say something else. They stand the Bible on its head and all logic goes out the window. As they try to make it say something that it clearly does not say. The Bible has a definition for love that does not include just as long as you feel good, it must be love. The Bible has a definition of love that says that you have those desires and those desires that are impure, you crucify so that you can have resurrection life springing inside of you as those desires are expressed in the way that God says to express them inside of a marriage relationship. We must follow the path of the Spirit because if you follow the path of the Spirit, you will not end up with anything that is the work of the flesh. 
You'll not have any space for those things. Those desires will still challenge you, but you will take them to the cross, and there at the cross of Jesus Christ, you will find that those desires are eliminated. And then you too may go from the 19-year-old card-throwing, table-tipping-over person to 20 years later, someone liking your patience. Someone will try to test this after the service, I'm sure. I'm not saying it's perfect. Trust me. Really try to challenge and you'll find out it's not very perfect at all. Yet I do know that the message from Pastor Pete earlier rings really true in my heart. That you can grow. And you may not see the change day to day, but you can look back after 25 years and say, I'm no longer the person that I once was. I am now like Jesus Christ a little bit more. Not as much like Him as I want to be, but I am now like Him just a little bit more because the desires which once ruled me are not there as much anymore. It's an active process that we say we want to do something different. Would you pray with me? God, this morning we are really grateful for Your Spirit which calls us and leads us, that allows us to walk arm in arm with You, that carries us at times through difficult moments, through moments when temptation is pretty overwhelming. God, we are really grateful for that spirit. Yet I realize that sometimes we are not going after you quite the way we ought to. We are not walking in the spirit quite as much as we ought to. And then those desires come and take over our lives. Help us, O oh God, to walk in the pathway of your spirit.